Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn alongside media executive Grail Hallett and soccer journalist and OTV producer Sam Griswold. Uh, well, as I said, we are back. Um, we heard from a bunch of you guys last week as we did not drop a podcast, as they say last week. We apologize. We had a deal with a lot last week. We were unable to uh, get a show on air last week due to the fact that we had to respond to a government subpoena in regards to a grand jury indictment. I know. Wait, that's something else. No, we had a power <laughs> outage. We had a power outage here in the East Coast, and uh, all three of us were affected in different ways. Uh, me, eight days without power. It's unbelievable. What did we wow. do? What did we do before Thomas Edison uh, thought up uh, electricity? So um, we're back. So uh, it'll be good to get caught up, guys. There's a lot of soccer uh, s- stories kind of have gone under the bridge. We'll get you caught up here on OTB. And today uh, we get caught up with uh, a couple of guys who I've played with for and against. Uh, they have a new podcast called uh, three old goalies podcast. It's Eric Vauder, Greg Deutsch, and John Boa. All three of the guys played in college and the pros, and uh, it'll be nice to hear what their perspective is uh, on the game, on the American game and abroad. So, guys, uh, it's good to get caught up with you two as hey, well. how you been? Good. It's unbelievable. <laughs> so when the lines of communication go down, it gets ugly, man. I'm telling you. It's, uh, the idea it's, of you I, not bathing for eight days is a little frightening, by the way. Uh, no, I was, you know, I was at my mother's house. I had to go to my mother's. I'm like, my poor mom. Like, she can't get rid of me. Bangers and mash. What was your mom whipping up for the Irish? She's, she's not that mom. My mother was born here. She's born in the old country, <laughs> okay. Brooklyn. Okay. So, uh, no, uh, yeah. So before we get to all that guys, uh, yeah. Eight days without power, but what are you over today on OTB? I'll go first. I'll, I'll be, you know, short and sweet. I'm just over the season. Um, after Atalanta lost yesterday, um, to me, there are no more storylines worth following. I've canceled my CBS (laughs) sports free trial despite having three weeks left on it. Um, so yeah, it's over. Wow. Well, death, on that, death, on despair, that, and destruction. On, yeah. on that cheerful note. Yeah. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Grail. What do you got? Well, I'm over holding out hope that uh, the American sports public, soccer fans included, will ever really make the effort to understand why players are kneeling. Yesterday, yeah. uh, MLS regular season returned and uh, FC Dallas played Nashville in Dallas, and the fans booed, some of them booed, when the players took a knee. And I'm like, I don't, after all this, you don't get it yet? I'm, uh, I'm done. Wait, I'm done but trying wait, to figure wait, wait, out. Go Grail. Maybe you don't get what they don't get. They just don't get it. They think, I know I have some friends from down in Texas, they're continuing to say that the COVID thing is a hoax, and that's gonna go away at the end of the election that it's a media made of hope. So that's under the guise of what's happening. Also, in the defense of MLS, I mean, they, like we were talking about earlier before the show started, they, everyone discussed it, all the teams, all the players, they, yeah. they were doing it and they were doing it overseas. Uh, so I think the problem that's happening is finally MLS is letting players back, uh, fans back in. And of course they're going to boo. There's going to be some that boo. And when they do it in the NFL, I bet you 80% of those players are going to kneel. They do it in the NBA. I bet you 99.9% of those players are going to kneel. So everybody's going to get booed. And that, you know, I think it's going to be like smoking cigarettes where you get a lot of heat early and then all of a sudden it changed. Well, you remember too, during MLS is back, they didn't play the anthem. Um, 
So, and obviously it didn't matter. There were no fans anyway, but, you know, but, but the players had actually said, please don't play the anthem moving forward. A lot of the players had said, we don't want to deal with the backlash. The MLS right. insisted on playing it. And this is what it's led to. It's just, to me, it's unfortunate. I, I think they shouldn't have played it. Cause I think it, it, it's unnecessary in a sporting event. I, mm-hmm. I love my country. I would die for my country, but I don't need to just have the anthem before every game. It's uh, it's sort of like when sometimes a player, uh, somebody will say, uh, you know, they will thank God for the great touchdown pass or catch that they made. It's like, like, well, was God not watching when you fumbled the ball? Do you thank <laughs> God when you fumbled? You know, we would have won the game, but God made me fumble. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, so my thing is, uh, I think MLS deserves a lot of credit for getting out there. Uh, they're the first to the beach now with this one. Not that some of the media is um, is covering it like they normally don't. Um, Rory Smith, a lot of good stuff in New York Times, though. He's covering it pretty well. Um, so anyway, that was to be expected. And especially, you know, where it is. Where COVID's exploding in Texas. The, the, state's, the state's on fire. And everything's become political now, including a soccer game. So, uh, so I'll tell you what I'm over. I'm over not having power. Oh, my God. I couldn't watch the games. Uh, I couldn't see, you know, uh, it, it was horrible. Couldn't make coffee in the morning. You know, my house is like the, the air conditioner was off. It's just and unbelievable. Flinny, Flinny, how many times did you instinctively go to do things that you automatically do throughout the day sure. as you're trying to flick a flat light switch or whatever? And you're like, you idiot, the power's off. Well, so I have a transformer, you know, I have a long driveway and I have a transformer. A tree fell on it. They call it a limb. It was like a log, you know, big. It was big and wide. Like, I, I can't, that's not a limb. That's like a tree that's hanging off the side of a tree. And uh, so the power went out in, at the road and at my house, uh, an old farmhouse. So it was like just eight days. And they finally had to pull the truck up and the guys come out. And, you know, my father used to tell me, hey, man, when, when somebody comes to work, today, you know, offer them a cup of coffee. If it's in the afternoon, you offer them a beer on their way out you know, just because it's the decent thing to, to, to do. So I said to the guys, I kind of was talking to the guys. They were nice guys, the two crewmen. They showed up at my house at 11 p.m. at night, you know, to, to fix it. I'm like, oh, my God. Um, and I, I said, hey, guys, I'd offer you a cold beer, but I haven't had power in eight days. So it, uh, it's all skunked. So anyway, so a lot to get to, guys. Um, a, a lot of stories. But first, MLS, uh, you want to talk about that, Creel? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, I, you know, kudos to MLS for having the MLS is back tournament go off, you know, without a hitch, except for the beginning, you know, the beginning had some stumbles, uh, obviously, with a couple teams not able to participate. But, you know, uh, 2-1, Portland Timbers won, 2-1 in the final. Uh, I haven't seen, I haven't seen the ratings, um, so I'm not sure how the game uh, rated, but you know, I thought it was a it was a pretty decent game. I mean, not a, not a fantastic game. It was a yeah. it was a little ragged, but um, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm happy for uh, Giovanni Savarisi, the uh, coach of uh, the manager of. Uh, he's he's got a good track record, Gio. He's got a good he track really, record, really and uh, yeah. and uh, you know, Nani. I've really been looking forward to seeing Nani because he had been kind of one of the stars of the tournament for Orlando, and he really just had an off game. Game, so that was disappointing. But uh, overall, you know, Don Garber and everybody at MLS, I think, d- deserves a lot of credit for getting it right. Um, you know, the bubble worked, and now the question will be: Will it work outside the bubble? That's the million-dollar right. question. What happens when uh, you free when the fish get freed out of the fishbowl? 
So, yeah. I mean, not yeah, to mention yeah. that, but also having fans in the stadium again right away, uh, you know, for these first two games, um, you know, obviously very unfortunately got, got overshadowed by the anthem um, booing. But, um, yeah, there were about 2,000 people in attendance at this game. Um, they all had to sign a waiver going in saying they wouldn't sue the club or MLS or SUM if they got COVID. Uh, they had to wear masks. They were spaced out. You know, all the payments were cashless, et cetera. So they were definitely taking some precautions. But, I mean, Grail, you would know more about this than I, but I think MLS, probably more than any other league in this country, is really up against it in terms of getting fans back in there because they need that gate money um, the way other leagues maybe don't because they have better, more lucrative TV deals. Yeah, I, no, I mean, I, obviously, Sam, I think I think that's very important to them. But I, I just think there's also just this uh, this desire to get the fan engagement going again. You know, obviously, money comes with fan engagement, the gate receipts, but it's also about trying to re, trying to bring back the atmosphere that they that they really think is you know, unique to MLS, whatever mm -hmm. that means. But uh, sure. so we'll see. so we'll see. I mean, again, I really hope it goes smoothly because they did a really good job for those four weeks down in Orlando, and they and they got it right before anybody in this country. They got it right before the other leagues, so they deserve. Yeah, a lot of and and I think that they're not being given credit for that. So um, you know, like you said, and uh, the here here it is. You talk geographically, of course that's going to happen. Every team that comes back is going to get booed, so let's not have that overshadow what's going on. And, uh, you know, so, you know, MLS, it's, we're always up against it, guys, with soccer. I so, mean, uh, they, they may also, Flinny, have to decide at some point to continue not playing the anthem. I mean, if it, if it gets so ridiculous that everybody's booing, then just go back to your MLS's back protocols and don't have the anthem played. Well, you know, look, it, it's, uh, it's the political stuff. Everything is political now, unfortunately, and you just cannot avoid it. So I think what yeah. people don't know historically is when the anthem started. I think when did it start? After World War II, I think, or during yeah. World War II? Well, World like War One, I, I think, briefly, and then it briefly. went away, and then again after World yeah. War II. Yeah. So it wasn't, always, uh, it wasn't always that way, and you look back yeah. historically, um, In God We Trust on the money was not always on there, or, or you know, on our, on our monetary stuff, it was... We were founded on the separation of church and state. So, you know, you can say, I'm a great American and I love this country. Don't need to hear the anthem in front, in front of a sporting event. I'm there to see the game. Um, and then you also can't say, like, on the other hand, I, you know, I believe in the, the ability of free speech. So if, you know, these, you know, young guys getting on their knee, uh, I didn't know how I felt about it, you know, always at first. It's sort of, I think with the, the country, we're sort of changing our opinion a little bit. We're accepting it more, just like people have, uh, you know, have moved, we've moved the needle on acceptance of, of like uh, uh, gay marriage and things like you know, politically. So this is all just, this is part of the process. So people got to just not make everything political, just, you know, uh, realize that things are changing and, and not fight it, but be empathetic and be thoughtful about it. So, um, all right, so we'll get off the political stuff, but I just want to say, um, looking forward uh, and, and been watching a couple of these American players abroad, which I think is really exciting as we wait for the U.S. men's national team to sort of reconfigure and um, get back together. Uh, Conrad uh, De La Fuente, I was looking forward to maybe seeing him get in, but I, I doubt, you know, I knew he wasn't going to get in, but he, uh, Sam got, uh, got the call up 
to the A team because uh, of a bunch of injuries. Talk yeah. about that. So, yeah, 19 year old um, Conrad De La Fuente, Barcelona B player, um, got called into the first team for their Champions League game against Napoli this past weekend. Um, like you said, Kevin, mainly because of injuries and suspensions. Mm -hmm. Uh, to some of the bigger names um, and did not make it into the game, um, but still pretty cool. First ever American to uh, be named in the Barcelona first team squad. And uh, yeah, let's hope it bodes well for the future. And we covered him in the under 20s uh, playing for Tab Ramos. And uh, yeah, man, kid has some game. So it was, uh, it's nice to see he's moving up. Hopefully he can, can break in. I mean, of all the places to try and break in is, uh, is Barcelona. So, but Barcelona, you know, they're going through a transitional period as well. Um, mm -hmm. And then also there's the 20-year-old Canadian striker, Jonathan David. Uh, big signing by Lille um, from the Belgian club, Gent, for a record $35 million. Have you guys seen him play at all? Yeah, I've seen him play a few times in the Europa League. I think they played against Roma, actually. So I watched him in both legs. And uh, he had a goal in the first leg, um, or the home leg, whatever one that was. Uh, yeah, very, very exciting, very talented. Um, this fee was $35 million, broke a couple records. It's the highest fee ever for a Canadian player. Um, it's the high, the most money Lille has ever spent on a signing and the most expensive wow. player ever sold by a Belgian club. Uh, just 20 years old, so pretty impressive. Uh, and Grail, uh, I know you keep up on this quite a bit with your old alma mater, uh, Middlebury, but uh, a bunch of colleges now have canceled their uh, – their fall programs, the Big East, the Big Ten, Pac-12. Yeah, I mean, it's like I, I think I think Sam has the ticker of uh, schools, <laughs> the schools that keep schools and conferences that keep going by the wayside. But we're we're finally at uh, you know, and for D, we got 43 out of the 44 D3 schools have canceled fall sports. You've got a slew of the NCAA canceled D2 and D3 fall championships. Um, big. Big Ten, Pac-12, is that right, Sam? Yep. And and uh, um, and Big East. Big, Big East. East. Big Ten, okay, Big East. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's so hard to keep track of all the. I don't know about you guys, but the conferences and the mergings of different conferences and teams, it's it's tough to keep them straight. But the bottom line is, there are more there are more conferences out than there are. In I, I don't know. I don't know what they're waiting for. Grail, this could be, you know, this is your sort of uh, field of expertise. And, and um, Sam, you mentioned the gate money from MLS. A lot of these colleges need the big college football towns need that money. Oh my God. What I think is so bizarre is it seems like they're delaying the inevitable. I understand yeah. as a business person, you're, you're a marketing guy, but it's sort of like, uh, when do you cut your losses and to say, let's prepare for the fact that it's not going to happen. Does sort of elongating the whole waiting game um, no. just kind of put off the misery? Yeah. Well, first of all, who's going to be left, right, guys? I mean, <laughs> yeah, who do you play? Right? Exactly. That's that's the problem. Is you can't have certain teams within conferences saying that they're going to go ahead and play if you know eighty percent of the other teams have said they're not going to play. Mm -hmm. So again, I just think the writing is on the wall. And if you look at all the numbers uh, from COVID, they happen to be in the states that have the biggest college football programs. Right. You know, I think Florida, I think those Florida, big football Florida and Texas and California, just those three states. When you're talking about big football, it's um, yeah. But but the, the thing is, the administration and the coaches. Now the players are saying some of the players are saying they don't want to play, and I understand that they don't want to lose eligibility. Uh, and, you know, you have certain people say, well, just play. You guys are young and healthy. It's like, no, I don't, 
I don't want to take the risk. Sam, you had, you had something you want to add? Yeah. So this is Paul Kennedy's article today in Soccer America. Uh, he writes that if 50% of more or more of eligible teams in a particular division sport cancel their fall season, there will be no fall NCAA championship in that sport. So that's the NCAA rule. Uh, that threshold has already been broken for soccer. So I, I don't know exactly what you know, they're plowing ahead for. I mean, maybe it would just be to win a division, you know, sorry, like a league championship. Um, and I, just a note on eligibility, the NCAA has recommended that, you know, if players opt out later or if a team plays, you know, less than 50% of their games, uh, they'll be allowed an extra year. So. Wow. So play 49% and then you get another year, plus you got your kicks in as well. Um, you know, Sam, you know, we talk about that Italian game where in one game, how many players were infected with COVID? Mm. Um, you know, again, Grail, you always talk about this, how no one sort of doesn't register soccer and what was happening. Look, the, the, the sport opened up overseas first. They're way ahead of us in Europe. We can learn from uh, what's going on over there. So to think that these young players are going to go out and smash into each other and nobody's going to get COVID and somebody's going to die, I, I don't want to live with that. Um, you know? Yeah, and, and nobody's really tested the American football model yet. They've tested the soccer model and they've gotten it right, um, you know, the, the, the way that they did it. But again, it's a function of the countries getting it right with the, with the virus. That's the overarching issue right. here. So well, we're all divided. I don't care how much you try to isolate in the bubble, out of the bubble, whatever. It, clearly, it's been shown with baseball when you're not in the bubble, it's problematic. Because when you're traveling around the country, I don't care if you're on charter planes or whatever, teams are getting infected and they're getting infected. I think the St. Louis Cardinals have played something like five games this year so far. Five games. Like other teams have played 20. So, I mean, how are you going to even have them catch up? Because they're all playing every day anyway. So, again, it's just – yeah. So the players are starting to wise up a little bit to sort of say they are starting to feel even more like a commodity. I, I think with the, with the taking a knee, you feel like, do not speak, do not give your thoughts. We don't care. Just play. A lot of people mm-hmm. have felt that way. Now the same thing is, Hey, we want to get the economy going. So don't think about your physical welfare so much. Just get out there and play. And I think you see it from an administration and the owners. What do they care? They're going to be up in the press box or in the owner's box watching everybody down there while they're in their bubble. So uh, basically the players have started to revolt. I know, Sam, you know, we're, we're a New England Patriot fans. And uh, what, eight players so far have already, you know, signed off for the year. They're not going to play. Um, you know, because it's like, are you thinking about my welfare? Because I'm going to go to practice. I'm going to play in a game. Then I go home to my family. You know, over the course of a long season with little kids, I mean, come on. It's, uh, this is where we're just not unified. Sam? Uh, well, yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> I'm actually not really much of an American football fan. So I'll just I was just trying to pull you in, you know. Yeah. <laughs> general New England guy, you know. <laughs> sure. It's like improv. Never go negative. Always yes. <laughs> yes sir, so. yeah. All right, so hey, guys, I did not want, get to watch Champions League, uh, but, you know, I've uh, – I've got the highlights that I can watch after the show, which is always helpful. <laughs> um, yeah. Talk a little bit about that. Man City defeats uh, Real Madrid 2-1. to one, and They win 4-2 on aggregate to face Lyon in the quarterfinals. Uh, who saw that game? I did. Yeah, they, they, look, they look really good. Uh, I mean, there were a couple bad mistakes by Varane, who was a Real, a Real Madrid defender that led to goals. But um, Rafael, Rafael, Varone. yes, exactly. But they, um, you know, I, I just think City's like hitting their peak at the right time. I think they've been really good since uh, 
they they came back for after the restart and um you know they face leon next i i, I like them against leon i just think uh city is definitely one of the top two or three favorites to win it all at this point so wow and they beat juventus uh sam um, yeah, uh, Lyon yeah. got got by Juventus. It was a two-one Juventus win in Turin, but uh, on the away goals, Lyon went through. Um, so painful, Sam. By the way, the way that works out, it's the worst way to go out. You win yeah. the game, but you lose the war or whatever. Uh, yeah, I mean, we can talk. We can talk about the two-leg system. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, I, Juventus absolutely did not deserve to advance. I mean, this is a team in Lyon that are in seventh place or were in seventh place when, when the French league was shut down uh, and, you know, hadn't played in something like five months. I mean, there's just no excuse for this to be, um, you know, close really. Um, and it led to Sarri, um, you know, getting fired out as Juve manager later in the day, um, Andrea Pirlo, former club legend, World Cup winner, etc. How do you feel about that, Sam? Because I, I thought about you right away. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on, on this whole thing. I mean, first of all, I think the Ronaldo experiment at Juve has been a failure. Uh, I mean, you can point to the fact he scored however many goals, and there's been quite a few, but Juve are in no different a position than they were two years ago when he signed. You know, they're still perennial champions of Italy and, you know, quarterfinal, maybe semifinalists in the Champions League, no different. Um, I think Sarri being out has a lot to do with Ronaldo in another way because I think it's really hard to implement a style of play a real team style of play when you have a player like that who is so talented individually and such a big star uh, I think inevitably you are just kind of setting up the team to support him rather than as a unit um, right I also think what the Andrea Pirlo signing shows uh, as manager is that, you know, for these big top clubs, now Rory Smith has an article on this in the Times, and, uh, which was great. And I, I don't know if he coined this term, but he was saying that these top clubs have come to see themselves as, you know, more than a team, more than a brand, but they've become these like lifestyle brands. Mm -hmm. I think that's very appropriate. And I think someone like Sari is about the least sexy uh, yeah. you know, face for a team that wants to be at that level uh, when you compare him to, a, you know, World Cup winner, fashion icon, Andrea ah. Pirlo. Um, and I just think of these big clubs now, you need your coach to be a, a big personality and someone people recognize and like. And, you know, it's almost like the trend we're seeing in baseball where the managers are getting more younger, better, you know, to relate to the players who are getting younger and younger. And yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, Andrea Pirlo's never coached, uh, you know, a first team game. So I have no idea what the team. Well, he's out of, he's out of central casting and he's absolutely beloved by the fan base. Right. So there's, yeah, it's just sure. such wishful thinking. It's like the guy looks phenomenal. He was a phenomenal player. Let's just hope he's a phenomenal yeah, manager. Well, we can say the same thing about Zidane, and Zidane had to have a, yeah. a bit of a learning curve. You know, Sam, to go back to a couple of your points. One, when Ronaldo joins your team, I almost liken it to early Michael Jordan, where individually the guy was amazing, but the team, there was no system built around him. Really, yeah. your favorite word, system. But, you know, you have to figure out how to play with other players because I know when you play against – play with a great player not that i play with Ronaldo, but like with a great player you're trying to figure out what he's going to do as sort yeah. of instead of playing into the system and sort of saying like um you know when jordan when they won, lost in the championship i think in the, in the road to the 
to the championship, they, he sat down with Jackson and Jackson said, we have to implement this way to play so that we can utilize your skill, but also involve everyone else. And I think on the short term, um, you know, that sometimes doesn't work with Ronaldo. Um, you see it, you see it with, with Messi when he goes back to Argentina, they don't quite know how to play with him, but they do in Barcelona. So uh, here's a question though, um, Grail, because here, sorry, many would say this has been successful right? Yeah. Juventus. Well, he won, he won Many 30. people would say he was successful in Chelsea, but yet, like what Sam talks about, the public image maybe is just not enough. He's not sexy. Well, there's something, there's something clearly missing with him. And again, Sam would know more, but he's not, a, you know, the rap on him at uh, Chelsea was he was not a great communicator. And now mm-hmm. he does speak English, but he kind of decided he wasn't going to speak English when he was the manager of Chelsea. And he's just not great with young players. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so those are the two raps against him. Again, you know, in terms of Juve, I mean, I think he won 34 out of 51 matches. So, I mean, the guy had a very good winning percentage. But, Sam, it seemed like towards the end of it, he almost could sense that the gallows were being erected for him and his days were numbered. I mean, did you get that idea that he kind of knew that some that it was coming? I mean, yes and no. I mean, the the overall sort of take on Juve's season, Serie A season, was despite winning that it was kind of a disappointment because he was supposed to usher in this new exciting era, which has been, uh, you know, not associated with Juventus kind of historically. I mean, they've always said, you know, winning is the only thing that matters, right? And that's always served them well in Italy. They've won by far the most, uh, you know, Italian championships. But, you know, they've never been that good a European team. I mean, historically, going back, you know, 20, 30 years. I mean, Milan have been by far the most successful mm-hmm. uh, Italian team in Europe. So this was supposed to kind of make that jump to get them playing a European style. And that revolution just didn't happen. So I think that he knew by the end of the season. Days are numbered. It's like a, a bit of an outdated model. And you're also talking about not utilizing young players or developing them. Something Klopp is known for, uh, something Pep is known for. Uh, One data. And also, guys, let's not overlook data. Because mm-hmm. soccer teams, just like baseball teams and everything, it's all driven by data. You know, Liverpool, now. data, yeah, data, data, data. So having a young manager is, an, is more of an advantage because they're going to be more attuned to data, frankly. Hey, so let's, let's talk a little bit about Champions League. And Sam, I know you had some thoughts on, on how you thought maybe it could improve or things that you would like to see change. Well, um, I, I, I've, I've liked watching uh, these couple games because the single elimination to me – or I guess, sorry, I guess I've only seen one single elimination game mm-hmm. so far. But um, I, just the excitement that a single elimination game brings, I think, is fantastic. And I also – have liked the way this summer's worked where we've had all the seasons finish and then we've had the champions league. And I know this would be a drastic shift, but if you know, the champions league were not played concurrently to the European seasons, but maybe they ended a month early because you wouldn't have all those midweek games. And then you played a knockout tournament with 32, 64 teams, whatever, after the fact, uh, with single elimination. I mean, excitement wise, I don't think you could top that. Um, You'd like it to be more like the euros. Basically. More like the Euros, more yeah, like you know, the NCAA standalone. tournament. You could yep. have a whole bracket. You could fill it in. I mean, it would just it would be great. I mean, I know it's wishful thinking, but. But I agree with you about getting, especially getting into a couple rounds and going to single elimination because, first of all, there's urgency. You create urgency, but with both teams, right? They've got to get the result. And you're right. When you have the first leg, second leg, 
as the end of the first leg is coming on, you see what the team is doing to prepare for the second leg. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they're just shutting down, parking the bus, whatever, right? Because they know that the second leg is going to be the, the best path for them to advance. Mm -hmm. and, if, and if it's just one leg, you got to put it all out there. Yeah, so, so you think a single game, single elimination, but maybe in a neutral site? Starting well, at the round of 16, though, Sam, is that what you meant? No, I, well, I would love to see, you know, a full knockout tournament for okay. 64, single elimination. You know, I think the higher seed gets home field advantage. Then you play the final four in, you know, whatever city's hosting the championship. All right. People would, you know, book their tickets, you know, months in advance. You wouldn't wait to see if your team got there because it would be an event in and of itself. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the, the only thing I would say, Sam, is that the people that run the Champions League ultimately want the most recognizable teams to be involved late in the game right. in, in the, the tournament because it drives TV ratings. Mm -hmm. and if you have a, super, super League if, argument. Yeah, yeah. So if you have the big teams toppled early on, uh, as much as we like the idea of the underdog being part of it, it's probably not going to drive much of a TV, as much of a TV rating. So, hey, so you know, it's always fun for me because uh, you know, each week as we prepare for this show, uh, you, you guys basically put it together. Look at all these stories and so many stories across the world on soccer, and you know, so I always love it because you guys submit what you want to talk about each week. And Sam's always very um, uh, Italy centric, and then Sam, I, I'm laughing this week because. Grail sends in his talking points, and it's this huge uh, War and Peace novel on Chelsea. <laughs> just, well, it went on for pages. I'm like, well, my God, before my we eyes. Get to this, before we yeah, get to this, um, yeah. I think we do need to mention the Atalanta PSG game yesterday. Which oh, we, yeah. Oh, yes. right, right, right. I, yes. I honestly don't want to talk about it that much because I'm worried I'll say something uh, offensive. I do. Um, but I just want to say how proud I am of Atalanta's season this year. And as I said at the top of the show, um, to me, there are no more storylines. This was the best story of the year, considering everything that happened in Bergamo uh, with COVID um, and how fun a team they've been. So I'm immensely proud of them. That's all I'll say. Well, Sam, Sam I will second that and say I was uh, cheering on Atalanta, but there's nothing more dangerous than a 1-0 lead. And that was as big a soul-crushing defeat as I've ever seen. When you get scored on in the 90th minute and then in the 93rd minute to lose a game, yeah. I was just, my heart went out to them. I, I really felt bad did. for Sam because I remember that we were talking about it two weeks ago in the last show we had. So, um, you know, you enjoyed watching that team play. Um, and, and I do have to mention in, in, in that Barcelona-Napoli match when Barca beat them 3-1, there was a goal from Messi – that nobody else in the world can score, where he is literally stumbling and bumbling his way through the box. He's on all fours, and as he's getting back up, he looks up, sees where the keeper in keeper is, and curls the ball around the keeper in the corner, basically halfway on the ground. I mean, it was just incredible, pure yeah, mess. I, I did see that. I saw that. So you know, this reminds me of a point, guys. Before we start the show. We start talking. Everybody's enthusiastic about what they want to talk about. And we had, we had talked about Atalanta before we signed on. So I actually thought we had talked about it on the show. So sorry about that. So um, it, it's good to get back to that. So we're going to have the guys, uh, three old goalies uh, podcast, Eric Vauder, Greg Deutsch, and John Boa coming on in just a second. But, but before that, I just wanted to ask you guys quickly, um, Grail, you specifically about the Newcastle story. It's surprising because – 
you know, uh, the deal fell through and the fans are actually mad that Saudi Arabia, and we don't have much time for this, but yeah. Saudi Arabia, um, you know, with all they're doing wrong in the world, they, they, they're mad. The fans are mad. And it reminded me of Chelsea fans. Did you guys have this reaction with Abramovich? Um, we, you know, uh, uh, Brits are, are historically xenophobic. They don't really like anybody coming in and running their businesses, period. But everything has changed with a lot of the Middle Eastern money coming in. I just, I just think that the reaction had a lot to do with the fact that Newcastle fans hate, I believe Mike Ashley was the current yeah. owner. Yeah, they called it the Cockney, the Cockney Mafia. Well, they just, they hate him so much that honestly, I think if the Taliban had bid on Newcastle, <laughs> Newcastle fans would have somehow rationalized that the Taliban owning Newcastle would have been be better okay. than Mike Ashley. Honestly, <laughs> that's where it's coming from. Their hatred of this guy is so deep that anybody coming in and buying the team, and they were willing to overlook a lot of stuff. I actually think it's they're going to find an owner eventually. I think it's better that the Saudis are not involved in this team. There's a lot of pushback on American owners uh, when the Glazers oh and everybody God, sort of jumped is. in. And, yeah, still is. That's, that's changed. Sam, any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was just surprised. I mean, I, as a Fiorentina fan, we have a new American owner, an Italian-American. Um, but I, I, yeah, it's, it's strange. I mean, it's strange how much these owners affect the identity of a team, I feel like. And it's something that's so out of your hands as a supporter that it's, um, yeah, I don't know. Well, uh, it's well, the, whole th the, the whole thing too, Sam, just with the Saudis and the B in sports thing, Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that yeah. hanging over their heads and then obviously the Khashoggi thing, which is a, a human rights issue. Yeah. Oh, so. no, I, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not for the takeover. I was yeah. more surprised <laughs> by the reaction. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. I was surprised with the reaction that they were unhappy about it. Someone will buy that team. Um, and Mike Allen's in a bit of a pick. Great history. It would be a like great it. franchise to own. All right, so uh, we're going to take a break here, come back on OTB. Uh, we're going to be joined by the Three Old Goalies podcast. Uh, a couple of guys I played with, for and against will be joining us. Uh, they're quite characters, dedicated their lives to this game. So we'll be back in just a moment on Over the Ball. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro Membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And by Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com, and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now on Over the Ball, the guys from the Three Old Goalies podcast, uh, which is, is new and out there. Uh, two of these guys I, I know quite well, Greg Deutsch and Eric Water. Uh, John Boa will get to know a little bit later. Maybe he's having transformer problems, much like I did and told you about with my eight-day blackout. But guys, uh, old friends of mine, you've been in the business a long time, the soccer world. Welcome to Over the Ball. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you very much for having us. It's great to see you and talk to you again. And, you know, I'm glad our relationship continues, you know, from a long, long time ago, as you recall, when uh, Eric was coaching us. Yeah, that's why I thought the podcast should be called Three Really Old Goalies. Uh, I thought that would be more appropriate. But it's Three Old Goalies. Um, look, goalkeepers, you guys have your own club. You're all like, uh, you're all in the little special VIP room over there where you all talk about all the field players all the time. But I always have found that goalies have a really interesting perspective on the game because you're watching it, you know, spatially, strategically, th seeing things. Um, what, what is different about your podcast that you're bringing um, to the soccer world at this time? Eric, go ahead, Greg. Give him, give him a shot. 
<laughs> well, uh, Evie and I, let give you a little background. Evie and I did a radio show back in the late 90s called Soccer Today. We were on an AM show about an hour long. We were able to get vests, you know, a lot of great guests. We even had sponsors. Um, and, you know, from there, you know, we fast forward. And Evie, about two years ago, said, hey, I want to do a podcast. I'm like, cool, I'm in. Well, it took a little while to get going. And all of a sudden, one day, I get a, in the mail a microphone um, and a headset. And then I knew it was on. And so <laughs> we didn't really know what we were doing. Um, John Bo has obviously you know, been extremely helpful. And I think what separates us is we're, we're talking about what's happening in soccer uh, in the United States. Obviously, John will do uh, his swirl around the world, which uh, encompasses what's happening in world leagues, not just the EPL. Obviously, he's a big Liverpool fan, but uh, again, he sort of takes around the world what's going on with different leagues. But we really concentrate on what's going on in the United States with the national teams, the MLS, collegiately high school, um, youth, uh, and WSL. So because we know, quote, unquote, a few people, we've been able to get some very, very entertaining guests. But let me ask you guys this. I should have asked you at the top. Just talk a little bit about who you are, because I know who you guys are. Uh, my co-hosts don't, uh, and my audience doesn't. So tell me, you know, like, Eric, I played for you. So uh, just talk a little bit about, you know, who you are and your background and, and what you bring to this project. Yeah, I think, you know, the whole, before I get into that, the whole podcast was predicated on three old guys sitting around at a coach's convention drinking beers and trying to bring that same conversation to people who might be interested. And as Greg said, we're, we kind of track what's going on in the United States because everybody talks about what's going on in the EPL and all that stuff. Right, right. And we just basically, it's, it's, a, it's a storytelling podcast. You know, we get guys on that we've known through the years and we tell stories. And, uh, but anyway, you know, all three of us were goalkeepers. All three of us played in college. All three of us played, you know, second tier professionally. Um, and most of all three of us went into coaching afterwards and we've been, you know, involved with soccer for decades uh, and just wanted, you know, basically just wanted to share the stories that, that have come up, you know, as you know, Flinny, you know, similar stories to what we had when we, you know, when we did the barnstorming tour with the ASIA guys, you know, yeah. and because those are stories that, you know, unfortunately, at some point will be lost. And if no, if somebody doesn't record them, you know, it's, it's, it's too generic. So forever, yeah. Doing. You know, it's funny, I, I talk about it. We, we have a similar approach here on Over the Ball where we try to talk, you know, domestic stuff because it's very important. And, you know, we have all been through so much history with this game. Uh, you know, you mentioned the barnstorming tour that we did. I, I, you know, when, they, when I got interviewed from Soccer America, he was asking me about comedy and the comedy, all my comedy friends. And, and I said, well, but by far the funniest people I've ever hung out with were my soccer friends. They're just, they're, you know, they're just a, a crazy bunch and a very mixed uh, demographic that we, that we all travel on buses with and vans. And, you know, that barnstorming tour, there's got to be a movie made out of that because it was absolutely hysterical. Uh, talk a little bit about how you, you came into to be involved with that, uh, that league and, and what your insights were and what, you know, how you viewed it. You know, that was a phone call. I was coaching, I was an assistant coach at Sangamon State University back in night, night, when the 80s, whenever that was. And I got a call from Bill Nuttall, who was friends oh, yeah. with uh, 
Mr. Lemieux, who was putting the whole thing together. Now, Bill Nuttall was the general manager for the national team for a while. He was also of, of, uh, he was in Dallas. Great guy. Also gave American players a shot when no one would. Because look, when, you know, you're already in coaching, Eric, but Greg and I were coming up at a time where, you know, you could be a top college player and there was just nowhere to go. Um, you know, you had the NASL, which was full of foreign players. You had the MISL, which is full of foreign players. As those two leagues started to collapse, those guys stayed here. And so when yeah. they started this AISA, they all were there as well. Um, so it was an interesting time, and I think people forget about it. Um, so yeah. you got involved with Lemieux. Yeah, he started the league. Yeah, and, and, you know, and like you say, back then, you know, I had sort of been through that prior to you guys in the old ASL where I was one of three Americans or four Americans on our team. And um, so obviously, you know, I get this call and he says, hey, you want to take, take some kids – across the Midwest for uh, three weeks and play, I think we played six games, eight games, whatever it was, indoors. Um, and I was, you know, sure, of course. I mean, it sounds like a good, good plan. So, yeah. you know, we did the tryouts. We did the, the whole tour. I think we had two Winnebago's and a, and a, and a, and a van. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's kind of how that started. And, you know, and again, as we mentioned before, you know, stories like that that don't get told, you know, there's some entertainment value to it for sure, but there's, there's more importantly, some historical value to it. Yeah. I mean, it kept, uh, it kept the game alive here professionally, at least uh, during the dark eighties, you know, the middle of the eighties. And it was interesting as uh, you know, you play your college season. I played my college season that year, my senior year, there was really nowhere to go. Then all of a sudden this popped up and the hard part was you're playing outdoor soccer for your entire life. And then all of a sudden you get thrown inside a hockey rink and there's, you know, three line violations and penalty minutes. And, uh, you know, it, it is a completely different game that you have to learn. You know, you're in the back, you get over the third line, you dump it in the corner. It's like, what? You're losing possessions. Like, no, you dump it in the corner flood. So we had to learn. And the hard part is, you know, I wind up in Kalamazoo. I got to play against, uh, you know, the guys from Canton, Ohio. They were all MISL all-stars. These guys yeah. from Northern Ireland and England. And it was like, oh, my God. I got on that field the first time. I felt like I was uh, in Nam. For God's sakes, man, people shooting by me, you know, it was unbelievable with great skill, but it, it, it kept things going. And, and here I got, I have Sam and, and, uh, and Grill, I want to get in here because I talked to them about that, you know, uh, both were college players, both Sam and, and Grail. And, um, you know, I say like, hey, Grail, I think you graduated before this was even there. So it was even a darker time uh, for mm -hmm. you, but, but uh, what, what do you got, Grail? Yeah. Uh, welcome to the show guys. Um, it's great having keepers join us. And uh, I just wanted to get into some technical stuff about goalkeeping because we rarely get to have keepers on with us. So with so much focus uh, on passing out of the keeper position now, you know, playing out of the back, pinpoint passing, Allison, Ederson, all of those types of keepers. I was just wondering if uh, actually catching the ball has become a lost art in goalkeeping. I'll let you go first, Greg, because then I'm going to. I definitely, I, I definitely agree. Yeah, I definitely agree. It has been. You see a lot of people just boxing, padding. Um, I couldn't agree with you more, uh, especially probably within the last two seasons. You see it more. It's just more common that these goalkeepers are not holding on to balls. They're making some great saves. Okay. I think that we all um, have seen, you know, especially in the MLS you know, tournament in the last 30 days. Um, but I totally agree with you. And it's really funny, I think, when 
you're telling kids as we train them, like you got to hold on to these because you're just giving up some horrendous rebounds. You'll make a great save, but then you you push the ball right back to you know the uh, the striker, the forward, right back at the six, and he just you know puts it right back in the goal, and you're like, oh, and you're, as a goalkeeper coach, you're like, uh, you can't do that. You know, you either got to catch it or you got to make sure that your rebound is not in the way of an oncoming um, you know player. Yeah, EB. So the, yeah, EB the, yeah the, because the bigger question is why, uh, Eric? Why, why is this happening? Well, the main reason is we don't spend time working on it, you know. Uh, and, you know, my pet peeve with, with goalkeeper training right now, Grail, is, you know, we work on playing with feet, and rightfully so because the game has evolved, you know, and the goalkeepers are expected to be – you know, the 11th player who also by chance can play with their hands. But, you know, we've taken out the, the constant drilling, the constant catching, you know, the idea that, you know what, if we catch the ball, that's the same as a perfect tackle. We have the ball now, you know. And unfortunately, a lot of goalkeeper coaches are not, you know, their only job, their only stipulation of their goalkeepers is, hey, keep it out of the goal. Of course, that's your job. That's your number one job. Number two job is catch it if you can, because if you catch it, now we got position. Now we can build out of the back or however you want to play or, you know, whatever, um, you know, and I look at other sports where, you know, an emphasis on catching, for example, American football, right? A pointy ball doesn't decelerate like a soccer ball does. And Brett Favre and Tom Brady can throw a football just as almost as fast as a guy can kick a soccer ball. And they managed to catch the ball with knowing full well that if they get killed afterwards with a hit, it's perfectly legal. And they hold on to the ball. Right. Okay. And that's because they concentrate on it. They concentrate on catching because it's, it's, it's priority. And we don't have that, you know, that's sort of left in goalkeeping. And, and it's a shame because, uh, uh, you know, there's so many, and everybody talks about oh, that bigger, stronger, and the ball is juiced and it's moving. And okay, great. You know, I get that, but you still should be able to catch it. Still got to catch, which, you know, I think Grail, even you had talked about, um, we talked about before you guys got on about the prominence of American goalkeepers on the international level has diminished in the last couple of years. So if there's one thing that Americans had over the rest of the world, it was the hand eye coordination and the ability to hold on to a ball. So, uh, so that's, that's a big change. Sam, you had a question? Uh, yeah, well, that, that was exactly my question from the American oh. standpoint. Do you think this sort of trend of, you know, having to play more with feet has led to us kind of, you know, moving away from our heyday of Friedel, Keller, Howard, et cetera? And Sylvester, you- Sylvester Stallone, you know, in victory. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would say, you know, on the hand-eye coordination, as the five of us on this podcast know, when we were younger, we didn't have all these – video games and things like that so we were playing wiffle ball we were playing uh tennis we were playing pickle all the hand-eye coordination i mean the biggest thing right now is when you ask these kids you know have you done anything on your own did you play yeah i i beat brazil you know in fifa (laughs) yeah exactly Um, right i mean so like there's a big problem with these kids both boys and girls judging a ball I mean, it, yeah. it's crazy when uh, a cross comes or a high ball and you just see them, you know, take two steps forward and then the ball goes over their head. So they're not doing any or very, very little hand-eye coordination 
Um, so I totally agree with with that statement. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a time when when you know being a goalkeeper in the states, they were just really they had good size and they were good athletes, and you just you knew they had good hands. You know, most 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 Americans had good hands. Most of the you guys were basketball players, baseball players. Uh, so, you know, the hard part is what we've been concentrating on in this country is to develop sort of a skill set that allows us to play out of the back as players. Uh, you know, not 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 just as keepers. Now we're throwing you guys in the mix, but I think uh, the general athletic population in the states could transition it, uh, into a goalkeeping position from the basic traditional American model. Um, but that didn't help us internationally as players. Uh, so it's it seems like we're getting better in one area, but we're we're losing it in another area, which is unfortunate. Grayley had a question. Yeah. So guys, speaking of the ball, um, technology in all sports is constantly advancing. The equipment's changing, and uh, in soccer, the ball has probably changed more than anything in the game, right? And I'm just curious if if from your perspective, you think it's become too much of an advantage to the field player versus the keeper in an effort to just score more goals. I mean, we all know about the juiced ball in baseball. It was all about trying to hit more home runs in soccer. People love goals, but do you think that's actually gone to such an extreme where it's a disadvantage to the goalkeepers? Uh, I think I, I understand the premise. I disagree with it. You're a goalkeeper, you know, I don't care if they, you know, I don't care if they throw a bird at you, keep it out of the goal. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, yeah, the ball's changed. You know, technologically, the goalkeeper's equipment, i.e. gloves has changed and, and improved and, and improved. And so, you know, there's a, like I, like you say, there's a lot of different variables in this, you know, but basically what I tell my youth goalkeepers is, listen, it's a pretty simple position. Keep the ball out of the goal. Catch it if you can. If you catch it, don't give it back to the other team. You know, it's pretty simple. And right. but we're not. Unfortunately, we like like coaches will do. They can't not coach. They can't just like leave things alone. They got to, you know, fine tune everything. And they get, you know, they get scattered away into these other tangents that really, they're important, but they're not the they're not the 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 bedrock of the position you know i i think some of the advances have been fun to watch you know like you know trying to bend a ball when i was in college with a waterlogged brine soccer ball like uh, you know it was like impossible what they can make the balls do now is pretty amazing to watch so yeah it's a nightmare for goalkeepers but i think you guys obviously will adjust um and it makes the game more exciting sam you had a question for the guys yeah th this may be kind of a strange question but i i read an article in an italian soccer magazine that i subscribe to uh, italians are obviously famous for overthinking everything and getting all psychological about soccer but it was asking the question why there aren't more former keepers um, coaching at the top level of soccer in europe um and the reason they posited that they suggested was that at some level, uh, the goalie roots against their own team because they want to face more shots and give themselves the chance to be in the spotlight. Uh, Psycho goalies. Psycho nutty goalies. I wonder, first of all, what you guys make of the fact that there aren't that many former keepers who are you know, coaches at the top level, and if you think that statement has any merit at all. <laughs> Go ahead, Greg. Go ahead, Greg, on that one. It's philosophy. It's a philosophical question, so it's got to be Deutsch. Well, well, first of all, I want to just comment 
more on the on the on the ball issue. I don't. There's a little known fact that FIFA mandates Adidas to have technological advances in the World Cup ball. We saw it in the Jablano or whatever it's called. That ball was like you know players were loving it, right? Um, because that you know, as a keeper you couldn't you couldn't judge that ball. That thing's moving, dipping. Um, crazy, absolutely love it. crazy. Love it, right? Of course, you're a field player. Right? <laughs> so there was a big controversy. Obviously, they quote tamed that a little bit, um, but Sam, I, I I don't put too much merit in that. I just don't think um, the and even in the, I think even in MLS, you don't see really a lot of goalkeeper um, coaches being head coaches for for whatever reasons maybe they they there's a myth that they can't do it i don't i really don't know i mean you you see them on staffs and we've seen former mls players on that you know overseas you really don't see or hear a lot about like what you said as far as um you know former goalkeepers becoming um head coaches so it's really really rare um for for whatever reasons Uh, well Um, i have a theory i have a theory greg uh, as to why it, I think that strategically goalkeepers have it. They figure out they're watching the game all the time. They see, you know, when guys hold the ball too long, when they don't open it up wide, when, you know, when uh, people get sort of condensed, I think they see the whole game. I think part of the problem, and I mean, I'm serious about this. Goalkeepers have a tendency to not interact with other players very well. They'll, they'll come off their line and be like, guys, what the, you, you know, it's sort of like a communication thing. And I think, Part of my theory had always been um, with with goalies, it's sort of, uh, or coaches, you're more like a, a psychiatrist. You had to come out, you have to manage all these different players in all these different ways. Goalkeepers are like, look, I'm sitting back here. I'm watching you. I'm telling you what's happening. And uh, it's a communication problem. Grail, Grail, do you agree? Uh, I do agree with that. And uh, I'd also like to find out from the guys um, who your personal favorite professional goalkeepers are present and past and why okay I'll, I'll go with that one but first i'll answer uh, sam's second part of his question wow uh, you got a good memory eric man I'm, I'm i'm add i move on i'm like <laughs> uh, when sam asked you know do you do you you know do you think that they prefer to uh you know to be involved in all that from personal experience as a goalkeeper when i was playing if the ball was at the other end of the field i was perfectly happy you know, I, I was, <laughs> exactly. I was, that was great as far as I was concerned. If we didn't have any shots on goal, magic, you know, because <laughs> that meant that I had done something correct. Maybe I'd middle manage my defenders properly, or maybe they, that day they actually decided to listen. But, you know, that never <laughs> that never bothered me. I mean, you Let's know, get the win know. and go have a beer. That's yeah, <laughs> exactly. 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 Uh, as far as personal favorites, you know, again, this is generational, but my, my favorite goalkeeper was always Gordon Banks because he, he made it look so simple. You know, his positioning was superb. Um, his, he caught, like, you know, getting back to catching, he caught most everything. Um, uh, and, you know, part of that was when I was a kid in college, I had a chance to go and train with him with the, when he was with Fort Lauderdale Strikers. Wow. Of course, as a goalkeeper, that's like training with God. I mean, yeah, you know, that's a, yeah, that's well, like that's like Pele for a field player. I so guess. Eric, so Eric, speaking of Gordon Banks, was that the greatest save ever against Pele on the header in the World Cup? Yes, I mean, okay. you know, by by far. I mean, there's you know, there's there's there have been saves that rival that, but I think you know, given particularly given the stage and everything that was, I mean, you know, it was great. And I, I'll tell you about that. 
The thing that I enjoy the most about that save grail is if you watch the crowd behind the goal, you know, they're all, as soon as Pelé hits it, they're all jumping up and down like it's going in, and then Banks pushes it over the bar, and everybody kind of goes, oh, and they all kind of sit back down, you know. And then they, you know, those of those of whom applaud, you know, a great save, they, they applaud very politely, you know, give them a golf clap. But, yeah. you know, it, it was, it, you know, that that's the save that you always – point to wait, wait, wait a minute though. Brazilians are jumping up and down dancing regardless of the ball whether it goes in the net or not right? yeah. Yeah. we, we got to wrap up pretty quick but Greg who's your uh, keeper uh, I, I liked watching Schmeichel you know I thought he was physical obviously very confident very powerful ex very explosive um, and it, it, he just had this presence you know as goalkeepers we're always talking you know you got to have a presence and everyone's like what the hell does that mean so you know, I, I like watching him. You know, today I love watching Neuer. He's sort of sane, very sane, very athletic. Um, and, and you see, I'm a big believer in, you know, trying to get the top hand if you can. You see a lot of English keepers always going with one hand because they're, they're not really set and they're trying to just use their explosiveness. And, you know, sometimes we see what happens when they do that. The ball hits their hand and they're diving backwards and it goes in. So that would right. be, you know, my right now. So Schmeichel, he controlled the box. And, you know, I remember when I played, if you were in the box and a cross came across, you, uh, you were going to get your bell rung. And that's not quite the same anymore. You guys actually have to go for the ball. Though the ball and the head look about the same size. Hey, we got to wrap. We have uh, no time. But I just a, a real quick uh, shout out to one of my mentors, Hank Steinbrecher. Uh, he's, uh, you guys have a three-part series on him as well. Just a class act. Made me... Uh, just to change my view of, of how we needed to market soccer in this country. I remember he just said it used to be soccer was everybody had a mullet and they were wearing flip-flops and which hit me pretty hard because I had a mullet and was wearing flip-flops at the time. <laughs> he told me about it, but uh, you know, he went to work for Gatorade and, and worked at NASCAR, you know, and, and really brought this game to another level marketing wise. And I think, um, so just a shout out to Hank. He's a class. Yeah, we were, both Greg and I were, were fortunate in that we played for Hank in college. Uh, and that was, you know, sort of, I guess, sort of the beginning of the whole odyssey. All right. Well, you know, thoughts uh, out to, to Hank. Listen to that. Uh, the guy is a wealth of knowledge, and the, the uh, Three Old Goalies podcast had him on and gave him his due. Uh, Eric Vauder and Greg Deutsch, thanks for joining us on Over the Ball. We'll get uh, caught up with John Boa, who's having transformer problems right now, and we're not talking the type of toys that kids have, but with electricity. <laughs> hey, we'll, we'll talk to you next time on OTB, boys. Thanks, fellas. Hey, remember to tweet us at Over the Ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. All right, guys. So it was uh, it was good to catch up with those guys. Uh, I think you know the premise that a lot of people have, including us, was like, hey, all these great conversations that happen uh, over a couple of beers, talking about the game we love. And you know, one of the things that I, I find interesting is. We try to, you know, what we say here at Over the Ball is we bring you the world's game from an American perspective. And I think, um, you know, all the nuanced views from our, our it's our game here. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to hear all the opinions. And I always love, you know, when people, you know, realize it's like, Sam, with all your Syria A knowledge and, you know, the, how you follow uh, the EPL grail so closely uh, or more specifically Chelsea. <laughs> um, you know, but it's, it's sort of, I, I like to hear American voices being introduced into this game or, you know, I go on about it all the time, but it's, uh, yeah. these are three, you know, great guys they are great players. They're, they're and they're keepers. So I they're love talk. I love, I mean, we, we can have our opinions on goalkeeping, but I love hearing from goalies. 
because they, they yeah. see the game from a different perspective. And they yeah. talk about it in a different way. Yeah, you know, uh, your, they, they really uh, your communication point uh, was a good one, Kevin, one I hadn't thought of. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it's always funny to me when you see a goalie just, you know, lose it with his defenders when a guy gets a shot from like, you know, 30 yards that dribbles in or something. You think, yeah, like, doesn't you can handle one shot like, you know. Yeah, well, you had to, you know, you'd yell your defenders to close space or whatever they're doing or track back. But, yeah. you know, I, I think my point was they are they are real rugged individuals, generally goalkeepers. Yeah. So yeah. They, they do not, uh, you know, dovetail well with others with their thoughts and things. They have one view. And I kind of like it. I like when it, a goalkeeper it is becoming like, it is becoming more common, though, for goalies to be captains. Mm. That was yeah. never – that was – I don't care how good a goalie you were in an international play, you were rarely the captain. And now it is more common for the you know, Larice and some other guys to be captain. Hey, uh, Grail, an article that hit me uh, came across my desk that uh, I thought of you. Infantino, talk about him. FIFA will not suspend Infantino. What do you think of that? Well, I don't know if Infantino made that decision or if FIFA made that decision. Well, isn't he, isn't he I, FIFA? You know? Well, yeah, it's kind, of like, it's kind of like saying, hmm, shall I suspend myself? But, uh, and he chose not to. But, yeah, so he's got the criminal <laughs> investigation going on. I think there are three charges against him currently. And, uh, you know, kind of like conspiracy type charges. And, um, yeah, I mean, back in the day when uh, Blatter and um, uh, Platini were under investigation, I think they got suspended for 90 days during that. Mm -hmm. And But uh, I guess Infantino's decided that he doesn't need to be suspended. So there yeah. you go. I, I just feel like this thing's going to go away. I mean, it just feels. Oh, totally. Like one totally. of these things is going to be like, uh, we looked into it and there really wasn't any impropriety. So we hey, look, our attorney general took their best shot. You're supposed to kill the king uh, if you're taking the shot. We did, but long live the king, you know, new yeah, king. Exactly. Same as the old boss, as the who said. So, yes. uh, Sam, what do you got? What are you looking uh, at? Well, well, first of all, I, want, I just want to let Grail get his FA Cup uh, then oh. now. In, I oh God! With his well, Chelsea uh, talk. All right, sorry. Well, yeah, it was uh, Chelsea talk. Flynn is describing my notes as uh, the tale of two cities or something. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, no, but, but anyway, there were some very interesting subplots in this game or plots. The bottom line is Arsenal won two one. Their fourteenth FA Cup. All credit to Arsenal. A nice way for them to end the season. I think Arteta has them moving in the right direction. You know, Polisic, big concern. He came up, he scored in a great goal in the first five minutes, great assist by Giroud. And then um, towards the end of the first half, he's got a breakaway and the dreaded reaching back for the hammy. And we all know that. Mm -hmm. Like he'd been shot in the hammy and he limped off in tears. Uh, the news is six weeks. He's going to be out. And guys, at least, as we've at talked least about, Hanny, six weeks at as least. we've talked about, our biggest concern is uh, with Polisic is staying fit, is staying right. on the pitch. He's just very injury prone. And uh, so that was, that was bad. And then there were just VAR. There were some issues, the, the officiating Anthony Taylor, I just thought did a terrible job. This is a rule they've got to change. There was a second yellow card for Kovacic, which clearly was not a foul, but he was sent off. And the rule is that VAR cannot review a second yellow card, which is just an asinine rule. So if anything positive comes out of this, they will change that rule. But they can review a straight red. That's yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's just odd. It's like an odd nuanced you know, rule. So. You know, it's interesting, Grail. I was thinking about, look, my favorite Chelsea player, besides Pulisic, of course, as an American fan here, but uh, is, is William. 
And yeah. I, I love to watch that guy play. Uh, great player, I think, because of the, uh, you know, Pedro's leaving the midfield and now Williams going to Arsenal. I think he's going to do really well. He's going to haunt them. He's going to yeah. haunt them. It was, you know, Frank Lampard wanted to keep him, I guess. But, not, but not for three years, right? Not for three years. I'm like, guys, you spend money all over the place for people to get an extra year of William. You know, even if he plays two good years, he's worth signing for the extra year. And I just think it's it was a dumb decision. I, I think he's going to fit in well at, at Arsenal. He, yeah, he will. He will. I think he'll really thrive under Arteta, you know, yeah. so too bad. All right, Sam. So Greg right. has to do his uh, Chelsea fix. So I hope that was quick. Here's my end of show rundown. First of all, I just want to point out the Europa League semifinals are set. We don't really talk about that much, but Sevilla men United and Inter against Shakhtar Donetsk. Uh, you know, some decent matchups. The, yeah. the Europa League won't exist once my proposal is implemented, but uh, <laughs> good luck to them while they're the still The Sam rule. The Sam rule. <laughs> exactly. Man. So I've been trying to do these stat kind of deals for you guys the past month or so. Um, this is less stat-based, but um, this is based on the comments a few weeks ago. I mentioned uh, the Napoli president saying Serie A should have a playoffs to try and break up, you know, Juve winning the league every year and it getting boring and everything. Uh, so I sort of wondered, you know, well, what would happen if they did that? You know, would that actually change anything? Um, or would Juve just win the playoff? So uh, here's what I've done. I've looked at the top four leagues this season, and I've created a playoff tournament in each one by seeding them based on the end of their league finishes, uh, mm -hmm. end of season finishes, and then having each round be decided by their head-to-head -head records using away goals to decide, you know, if, it could, if it's tied. And, uh, and if it's even tied on that, then team's penalty kick conversion rate. And finally, uh, overall points as a third tiebreak. So I use four different formats, 16 teams, eight teams, six teams with the top two getting buys, which I think would be the most realistic, and then just four teams. Uh, so I won't bore you with, you know, the whole rundown, but here are my main takeaways across. Too the late. Too late, Sam. <laughs> like, I was like, I'm okay. getting out my number two pencil. Commissioner, <laughs> Commissioner Sam Griswold. Okay. In England, Liverpool win handily in every format. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, interestingly, Man City do not reach the final in even one format. Wow. Wolves reach the final in the 16-team tournament, and Man United get there in every other one. Uh, Germany is by far the most straightforward and boring. Uh, there were no upsets in the 16-round, in the 16-team tournament. Uh, Bayern beat Dortmund in the final in every single format. Uh, Real Madrid also win every format in Spain. Um, however, in both the eight and the 16 team tournament, they would play the number seven seed Getafe in the final. So that was kind of interesting. Uh, they would beat Barcelona um, in the six and the 14 tournaments. And uh, Italy, I'll end with because that was the you know, what pushed me to do this. Uh, Inter would win every format in Serie A. And in fact, Juve would not reach the final uh, in one format. Um, wow. Atalanta. That's, so, that's, that's very interesting. So you have Liverpool, Bayern, and Real, who obviously won their leagues, would win the playoffs handily, but uh, Juventus would not, according to this simulation. Wow. Grail, you got that all in? Part, I mean, Sam, part doctor, part commissioner. I love that. It's like, it's just like the COVID scientist, study. Right? The scientist. Uh, I think we should put him on the vaccine. Get, get that vaccine. <laughs> oh down. Sputnik and Sam. The two I'll, end, I'll end with a quiz um, and related to today's Champions League game, which is RB Leipzig versus Atletico, yeah. uh, in which American Tyler Adams is expected to start, which is pretty cool. Um, should he do so, he would become, or should he play at all, he'd become the fifth 
American to play in the Champions League quarterfinals. Uh, can you guys tell me the other four who have done so? Can you just say What's that the one question one? again? Yeah, okay. I just lost my I was still... Tyler Adams should yeah. play today for yeah. Leipzig in the Champions League, would become the fifth American to play in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Can you name the other four? Or Clint any? Dempsey? No. Dempsey. No. Um, Howard? Howard? Oh, Howard. No. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, McBride. McBride. McBride? No. Donovan? Did no. we say Donovan? Okay. Donovan, no. He's very uh, negative, Braille, isn't he? This. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Who will we forget? Oh, um. Oh, oh uh, Ernie Stewart? No. No. Um, uh, Harks. Harksy? No. I think. My goodness. I'm going through every player. <laughs> uh, Keller. Casey Keller. Brad Friedel. No, no. You guys are going a little too historical. I'll, oh, yeah, we got to go. We got to go modern. Yes. Pulisic, right? Dortmund okay. in 2017. Yeah, I'm right? going back too far. Oh, I forgot that. That's right. Um, Pulisic and these. Uh, I don't know. I, I just... Jermaine Jones for Schalke in 2012. Oh, right, right, right. Demarcus Beasley for PSV in 2005. Oh, I, I completely forget that part of Demarcus. He had yeah, such I a long career. I, I should have gotten Jermaine, but I, I would never have gotten Demarcus. And, you would have you come up with Jermaine Jackson. That's a... <laughs> And finally, John O'Brien for Ajax. Oh, JP. Oh, Love the way O'Brien. that kid played, man. Yeah, he was good. He can play his way out of a paper bag, man. He scrappy. Can just, yeah. yeah. Like Not, I would say scrappy, just the ability to hold the ball. Brian McBride, when I had him on the show, we were at ESPN, talked about John O'Brien. He goes, yeah. Benders would close him down, double team him in a corner, and they still couldn't get the ball from John. And he'd play his way out of trouble. He said it was amazing to watch. Good player. Yeah, yeah, yeah good player. You know, but again, John, uh, John O'Brien dealt with a lot of injuries as well. And I think physically yeah. he looks a little bit like Polisic, a sort yeah. of wiry – a type of player and it's tough because sometimes that doesn't always uh bode well for duration you know for a long now we talked about michael owen and, and Polisic. there's a lot of similarities there unfortunately yeah yeah owen struggled with some injuries but so i hope let's let's hope that uh they know more now on how to sort of avoid injuries we look with josie altador that hamstring has just plagued just him for years you, and years you yeah. can't rush a hammy you cannot rush a hammy right? yeah but they also we talk about uh you know uh the configuration of the body if that's the word sort of they were saying when they first got Josie they were trying to you know his hamstrings were overdeveloped and it was yeah. pulling different things you know it's like for instance when you you know you hurt one knee suddenly your other knee is hurt because you're overcompensating and running and you know running in a different way so mm-hmm. um Sam I really liked that that was uh that was interesting that would sort of play like a sort of the super league right there sort of who actually is the best team you know head to head in those four but categories the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so, all right, what else we got, boys? Anything so, Sam, you, Sam, you've clearly got Juve fatigue, I can tell. I mean, I, yeah, I've had enough of Juve. <laughs> to be honest, to me, Atalanta, I'll say it again, was the only thing keeping me going. So, Champions League today, Hockey that's season, on CBS, no. right? I don't no, know. I well, it's, on, it's, on Univ- it's on Unimas or Univision today. It's on CBS All Access, but it's not on CBS Sports Network. Uh, all access. Okay. All right, guys, that's all the time we have uh, on Over the Ball. I'd like to thank our guests from the Three Old Goalies podcast, Eric Vauder, John Boa, and Greg Deutsch. Um, good guys. So it'll be, it was fun to talk to them, fun to get caught up, because usually it's at the soccer coaches convention. I get to talk to those guys and have a few beers and reminisce about uh, when we all had full heads of hair. 
perhaps too much. Um, and we won't be having a convention this year in January. So, uh, so we'll have to talk to those guys again and maybe around January uh, and have a beer at 10 in the morning as we record this podcast. <laughs> All right, everybody, uh, for Over the Ball, I'm Kevin Flynn, Sam Griswold, and Grail Hallett saying we'll talk to you next time on OTB. OTB.